The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. As always, well, I invite your attention this morning, uh, open your Bibles uh, to the Word of God as we go to Ezekiel chapter 6, Ezekiel chapter 6, with the attempt to continue our series, uh, uh, Glory Ravaged, Glory Restored. This title today is called The Hope in Judgment, Hope in Judgment. Uh, if you come to Ezekiel and you feel as I do that every week it just gets weightier and weightier and weightier, that's probably, you're, you're getting it. Uh, so Ezekiel is kind of a doom and gloom book, but there is always, in God's grace, as we might say, secularly, a silver lining, but more importantly, a providential lining, that God is working through these things. But today, hope in judgment. Well, uh, I, I rang up some statistics about how to stay safe. We are in winter after all. These aren't winter statistics, but I do want to remind you of some things, uh, just as a p- uh, public service announcement to you as we get started this morning. You're supposed to uh, avoid riding in a car. So if you came in a car, just, just listen up because uh, 20% of people pass away in a car. So if you came in a car, it, it, well, you might want to consider other alternatives. But uh, don't stay home because 17% of people pass away at home, okay? <laughs> and Well, if you can't stay at home, you don't have a car, well, you need to avoid walking on the streets or the sidewalk because 14% of all accidents occur to pedestrians in, in a sidewalk or a street. They're, they're called runners, by the way. Oops, boom, boom, there's 100 points. You know how it goes. <laughs> well, avoid traveling by air or rail because 16% of all accidents involve those forms of transportation as well. And don't get sick because of 33% of all deaths, 32% occur in hospitals. Above all, avoid all hospitals at all costs, just so you know. But you'll be pleased to know, according to statistics, that only one-hundredth uh, uh, one of 1% of all deaths occur in worship services during church. And you came in with a pre-existing condition, so that's on you anyway. So it is what it is. So the logic says that the safest place for you to be at any given time is within the what? The church, right? So, so congratulations, you're very safe today. So I don't know how you're getting home yet, but you're safe. That's all that matters for you. And Bible study is safe too. They found, I don't know who came up with these stats, but one thousandth of one percent of people have only passed away while studying the Bible. So, so don't miss Bible study, don't miss church, don't take a train or uh, airplane or an automobile. I think that was a movie. And uh, don't walk and don't do anything. Just come to church and you'll be all right, okay? That's the takeaway from all this. Just be safe. But have you ever thought about how worshiping God can be dangerous, even though church apparently is a very safe place? I mean, can, can, can be worshiping God ever be a threatening thing? I mean, do you think about that? Can it ever be kind of threatening? I mean, this is the verse that we read from Hebrews. I always want to put it up there again, and, and Tori will do that. For our God is a consuming fire. You ever think about that? I mean, the safest place is church, but we're worshiping the God who isn't unbalanced, but he's a consuming fire. I mean, there's not a fire going on around me, but you understand what I'm saying. It's serious stuff. And when we worship him, God permits sometimes bad things to happen to his people because they refuse to turn to him from their idolatrous ways. We're going to see that in Ezekiel chapter 6. But that statistic that only some people die in church wasn't necessarily true for Israel. 
because they thought they had it down. We're going to the place, God, you want us to go to. We're doing the things, at least religiously, at least routinely, that you want us to do. So, God, what's the problem? But this isn't difficult to figure out. God allows things sometimes that will come to us and into our land, into into our lives, because we refuse to respond in the way he desires for us to respond instead of the way we want to modify it. And so, but we do that the same way today, don't we? God, I know the Bible says this, but I just want to do it this way. God, you know, you know, Ananias and Sapphira did that. Do you remember that story? Uh, they were giving in the church. Do you remember this? How, how amazing it was. They sold all this land. They bring all this money. Do you remember that story? And they put it down. And then Peter, by God's grace, says, I think you're telling a lie. And one of them, what happened to him? They dropped dead. I think that was that one hundredth of one percent was Ananias and Sapphira, by the way. And the other, the, the husband and the wife came back, and then they dropped down dead too. Are you scared yet? Some of y'all aren't sure where this is going. The point is, is that God wants us to remember that his people are told that he is the safest place. But he also tells us that even though he's the safest, he wants us to walk with him. And Israel took advantage of God's good grace and ran the opposite way with money in hand. So how do we worship God properly? How do we handle ourselves in front of his glory? How do we see the goodness of God in the midst of judgment? I want to remind you today through the big idea that we often measure how we worship by how we feel. But true worship is measured by what God thinks about worship. And I want you to get that distinction today. We measure worship by how we feel, but God measures it by what he thinks about it. And if we have no desire to worship God here, why would we expect to worship him forever as he wants to? We're called to worship the God who he is, not the God we want him to be. And we don't worship worship or the way we worship. We worship God. I'm so grateful that our church doesn't have that fight that many, brother, you know this. Even still today, it's crazy. This is like in the 90s this happened. Like we're going to have a contemporary service, we're going to have a traditional service, and then we're going to act like we're a church even though we're two separate churches. And when we get together, we're going to fight about what songs we're going to sing. Thank you, Tower of You, for not doing that. Thank you for just being here to worship God. Thank you, older folks, and you all know who you are. I'm not going to point you out. Deb is like over there hot under the collars, Deb. I'm just messing with you. But you all know who you are. Some of y'all would prefer to have hymns every, every service and everything. Thank you for bending a little bit in your freedom to allow us to sing songs that younger generations have. Younger generation, thank you for allowing hymns to come. Thank you for doing it together well. And our church is great to be reminded that we worship not worship style, but we worship God because he is the only true God. Well, there's three things that affect our worship or, or not affect our worship, as we see here in Ezekiel. I want to go through them. As we come to this God, as we worship him truly, we need to see three things from Ezekiel chapter 6. We're going to see a message of severity. God's going to bring the hammer, guys. Uh, he's going to lay it down on them, but he doesn't end it there. He's going to bring sympathy. He's going to bring some grace along the way in verses 8 to 10. And then finally, he's going to shore up everything he said because he is a God of sureness. Aren't you grateful that God isn't like most of us when it comes to selecting a restaurant around Valentine's Day? Yeah, I think she'll like this. Yeah, I'm not sure she will. Yes, she wants chocolates. No, she really just wants a hug. I have no idea. Guys, I, am, I, I sympathize with you. I understand. Uh, so there it is. Maddie, you have to look forward to this for the rest of your life as you get married in a couple months. Yes. With all that in hand, would you join us in standing this morning as we read 14 verses, Ezekiel chapter 6, three messages that affect how we truly worship or not 
this God, this consuming fire, the one that we can get catch all around, but yet the one who calls us to intentional faithfulness. Let's read together as we read this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel speaking, son of man, set your face towards the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them and say, you mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains and the hills, to the ravines and the valleys, behold, I, even I, will bring a sword upon you and I will destroy your high places. Verse four, your altar shall become a desolation and your incense altar shall be broken and I will cast down your slain before your idols. And I will lay the dead bodies of your people of Israel before their idols, and I will scatter your bones around your altars. Verse 6, and wherever you dwell, the cities shall be waste and the high places ruined, so that the altars will be wasted and ruined and your idols broken and destroyed, your incense altars cut down and your works wiped out. And the slain shall fall in your midst and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Verse 8, yet I will leave some of you alive. When you have nothing among, when you have among the nations some who escape the sword, and when you are scattered throughout the countries, then those who escape will remember me, and the nations where they are carried captive. How I have been broken over their whoring heart that has departed from me, over their eyes that go whoring after idols, and they will be loathsome in their own sight for the evils that they have committed for all their abominations. Verse 10, and they shall know that I'm the Lord, and I have said not in vain that I would do this evil to them. Thus says the Lord God, clap your hands and stamp your feet and say at last, because of all the evil abominations of the house of Israel, for they shall fall by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. He, verse 12, who is far off shall die of pestilence, and he who is near shall fall by sword, and he who is left and is preserved shall die of famine. Thus I will spread and spend my fury upon them. Verse 13, and you shall know that I am the Lord when their slain lie among their idols, among their altars, on every high hill, on the mountaintops, under every green tree, under every leafy oak, wherever they offered pleasing aroma to their idols. And I will stretch out my hand against them and make my land a desolate and waste in all their dwelling places from the wilderness to Riblah. Then they will know that I am the Lord, your God. Friends, there is no safer place to be than with this God. But as Israel found out, it is a very serious thing to be one of God's people because he takes it seriously. So should we. And it affects how we worship him now. It affects how we worship him ever. Will you pray with me this morning as we start and go before our Lord? Fathers, we come before you. We thank you for this very, uh, just again, a very raw, real message from Ezekiel. Father, in some minds this morning, we might be asking, well, how could God do this to his own people? How could God allow such a thing to befall his people? Yet, Father, all of us outside the cross, this is us. We deserve this. Yet at the cross, we celebrate, looking back some 2,000 years, what Jesus did on that cross and that he took everything we deserve and everything that should have fallen on us fell upon him. So, Father, we are no different than these people, just a different time in a different way. There truly is, as the author Ecclesiastes said, nothing new under the sun. But, Father, you don't change. And you're still to be worshipped in the way you call us to worship. Help us to know a little bit more about that today. Forgive us if we have gotten off that track. Thank you so much. Thank you for Jesus. We pray all this in his name, in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Maybe seated, guys. Well, as we go through this text, I do want to just uh, clarify for you, kind of remind you where we have been. Uh, we are in the book of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel has, as you know, had some strange experiences the last few weeks. 
Ezekiel has given us several examples that he has been doing to show the coming judgment. Remember that Ezekiel is not in Jerusalem. Ezekiel is in what we might call present-day Iraq. So he is prophesying to those people in Iraq who've been taken away from Jerusalem in captivity. And he's prophesying now against Jerusalem, against those left in the city. And he's telling them that a message is coming, a, a severe time is coming when you will not live. You won't be around any longer. There's going to become a judgment that is on you. And Ezekiel has shown us by building things. He's, he's eaten food over dung. He has uh, made models of things. He's laid on his side. He's done all sorts of different examples. But now the message is straightforward. Judgment is coming. And so the first thing I want you to see is that there's a message of severity, a message of severity. And uh, Tori will put that up. Verse 1 says, and the word of the Lord came to me. I want you to think about that for a second. The fact that the word of the Lord came is an amazing thing. The God of any other group of people will not speak. There's only a select few who get the word of God. So never take this for granted. I know our church knows this well, but never take this word of God for granted. Amen. Because this is the word of God. You don't need a prophecy over your life. I watched a video while my wife was talking to her, uh, her mom last night in preparation for this, and I'd forgotten all about it, but about 10 years ago, a pastor planted himself in one of those super, uh, super uh, healing services. Do you know what I mean? He planted himself to get selected to get healed, and he got up on stage, and, and, and the pastor fell down like you're supposed to fall down and did that sort of thing, and, and the, the, the person who was doing the service said, isn't that a miracle? We need more miracles. Is there anything you want to say? And he said, you don't need more miracles. You need Jesus Christ. And he came to die for your sins. And he said, he's already given you everything you need. And they literally tackled him and took him off the stage. Because, and, and, the la and the lady who was doing it said, get that man out of here. We need more miracles. Who's next? And no one else went up front because they didn't want to get tackled. But when he tells them the word of the Lord came to me, guys, you have the word of the Lord. We have it right here. And he tells Ezekiel there's a specific message that's coming because of the people's idolatry. And he says in verse 2, that phrase we say every week, son of man. Ezekiel is a man, but he's on a divine mission. The message is a sacred message to be given to God's people about what's going to happen. And he tells them what to do. He says, set your face against the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them. And if you're like any nature lover, you're like, God, what did the mountains do to you? You know, what did he do to you? But he tells, prophesy against them and say, verse 3, you mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Now that phrase, set your face towards something, means that you go up to it with hostile intentions. It's like when someone gets in your family and, and they start talking bad about your family, you get that face. You know what I mean. You get on that face and you get ready to go tell them how it is. Or when someone does something wrong to you, you feel that way at least. But when God uses this phrase, set your face, it's not a good thing. This phrase is used 38 times throughout Ezekiel, and it's often used when uttering a, 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 an oracle or a prophecy, an angry prophecy against the people. So the mountains of Israel, this is only used in Ezekiel, by the way, this phrase mountains. But the mountains ran from the entire length of the promised land from north to south. Many of you have been there and seen this. So when he says the mountains of Israel, what he's saying is, Ezekiel, go to all Israel. There's not a part of Israel that is not part of this problem. It's not that these people are good over here and these people are gooder and these people are goodest, to use bad grammar. Everybody is affected. 
The mountains especially were the worst part. It's kind of like, man, it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's kind of, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. It's like when they had prohibition back in the 1920s. You'd always have someone's back leg, you know, well, what, yeah, you'd always have a speakeasy. That's the word I'm looking for. You'd always have someone's house that had the things that were outlawed by someone else. You outlaw one thing, they pop up on the underground thing underneath. That's exactly what was happening. Israel was told to worship in the temple, but the people wanted to worship on their own terms in their locations wherever they want to be. We might do that when we have church in our underwear at home when we're able to get to church whenever we want to go. Oh, yes, I just said that. <laughs> when we come to worship God, we come to worship Him on His terms. And we come to worship Him where He wants us to be. Look, if you're sick, if you can't get here, if you're unable to be here, that's okay. We understand we get that. But if you're able to be in a fellowship and you're not in a fellowship, why aren't you in a fellowship? Because this is where the Word of God comes to be. And when He says prophesy against the high places, these people were doing the things of God in places that were not sanctioned to be the places of God. And not only did they get into the bad things, they got, into, they got a little bit of God's stuff and they mixed it with the other stuff. They took the local traditions, the local gods, the local deities, the local customs, mixed it all together, and it became a religion unto themselves. When he says, go to the high places, he says, go and wreck the religion of Israel. The religion of Israel was whatever they wanted it to be. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, mix it up, and that is that. And that's what it was. And that is what most people do today. Give me a little bit of Jesus. Don't give me too much of Jesus. Give me a little bit of the gospel. Don't give me too much of the gospel. Give me a little bit of religion and mix it all together, and that's what I want my God to be. And yet Jesus said in Matthew 7, those are the people that will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this in your name? Didn't I do that in your name? Didn't I prophesy? Didn't I cast out demons? But he will look at them and say in Matthew 7, 22, I never knew you. And these people heard this message of severity because they had been doing it over and over. You know, this is what happened time and time again. There was a time in Israel when they were allowed to go to the high places before the temple was built. But this is a time when he tells them, listen to the word of God. Now, obviously, this is a nice way of saying that the people who live in the land of Israel need to listen. But not only did they need to listen, they needed to follow. And notice there, he tells them in every way. He goes to every point to tell them that this is exactly what they need to do. Do I need to switch out microphones, guys? Are we cutting out still? Okay, just a little bit. I'll keep going. As he says in verse, uh, the end of verse 3, he says, Behold, even I bring a sword, and I'll destroy your high places, and I will do this. Uh, your altars shall become uh, destroyed, verse 4, incense altars, and I will cast down your slain before you. He tells them, look, I'm done playing games. I'm done with this. The message is here. Whether you're in the hills or ravines or the valleys, God is, is warning that he will bring judgment against everything and everyone in that land. It will be a wasteland. That is how corrupt it had become. God told Moses in Leviticus 26 that the people, if they did not obey him, that he was going to do just that, and he was. God was following through on his promise. Tori, you can go ahead and put this up. We learned a very important lesson here, guys. God doesn't forget any one of the promises that he says. I mean, isn't this what 2 Peter 3 talks about? 2 Peter 3, 8 says, and Peter's quoting people of his day, well, where is God? If he was fulfilling his promises, why wouldn't he have come by now? 
And that's when he says in 2 Peter 3 that a thousand day, uh, one day is like a thousand days, a thousand years in the Lord's sight. Friends, people may look around today and say, if God is coming back, why hasn't he already done it? Because his time is not our time. We don't know the day or the hour. And that's exactly what they were saying. Well, if God's going to bring this Ezekiel, then why hasn't he done it? But he tells them in verse 4, he's going to take down their high places. He tells them in verse 5, their altars are going down. He tells them in verse 6, their houses, their dwellings are going to go down. And finally in verse 6, that their cities were going to go down. God says, I'm going to wipe out everything. I'm going to literally wipe out everything. Friends, this is the danger that comes. Most people don't know the danger of false worship and religion. In America, that can look like many different things. The church today in America has become all sorts of things it was never intended to be. That doesn't mean that Tower View has the corner on the market. We have things we could always improve on and get better at. But by God's grace, we try to keep the basics the basics. But when it comes to what he was saying is that you don't realize the danger of what you're doing. There is a, there's a group in Liberty called Hate Busters that I remember going to William Jewell with. And it was basically grab a little bit of religion here, a little bit of religion there, get everyone together. We're going to reach across the table. We're going to pray. You pray to your God. You pray to your God. Oh, atheist, you don't have a God. Well, just give us a good poem. We'll listen to your poem. We're all going to sing Kumbaya, hold hands, wear yellow shirts, and we're all going to feel good about ourselves and go to Denny's afterwards for their brunch special. Friends, the interfaith movement is killing churches. We do not link arms with people, spiritually speaking, who do not have the truth of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that difference? It is okay to serve our community together with people who are working together for, for, for things in our community. Absolutely. May we do that to the glory of God. But spiritually speaking, we never link arms with other religions. Why? Because of exactly what Ezekiel is prophesying against. The moment we start mixing Christianity with any other entity is when we realize that we don't understand who this God really is. We are living in a delusional la-la land. We're here in the United States. We really don't think that God would send judgment to us because we tolerate all religions. But in fact, we are, in, in fact, at times doing false religions. In fact, we promote the proliferation of all religious thought and dialogue as a some progressive form of highly educated tolerance. I mean, if you take a hard stand against Islam today, you're going to be called deplorable. If you take a stand against any other religion religiously, then you're going to be called intolerant then may we be called intolerant. May we be called deplorable if it means that we lovingly share there is one way to heaven. His name is Jesus Christ. And that is it. This is why the Mormons were chased out of the Midwest because they believed that not only was Jesus a God, but all these millions of other gods were also gods as well. Now, as Baptists, I want to remind us, we do believe in what's called uh, religious freedom. We do believe that everyone has the freedom to religiously believe what they want. doesn't mean they're right, but we believe that we tolerate them in that sense. That's what our country has been founded on. But Christian, don't let toleration saturate your identification in Jesus Christ. I can tolerate someone believing something, but I'm going to be on my knees wherever I'm at praying that that person comes to know Jesus Christ. Do you see that? So God says, and he gives four judgmental actions, and Tori, you can just put all those up for him. He tells him these things. He says, because, uh, yeah, I guess they're one at a time, God will smash the altars. He's going to smash the altars into pieces. Second, he's going to destroy the houses and the cities. 
He's also going to, in verse 6, he's going to blot out the idolatrous works of the people. That word blot out was the same term God used in the flood when he blotted out the earth except for those in the ark. And finally, judgment 4, these will be online, God will slay many people who claim to be his own. Friends, there are many folks who love Jesus but just have enough Jesus to be dangerous. If you're here today and you're playing the religion game, be very careful that you do not let religion overtake a relationship with Jesus Christ. May God be glorified in all these things. That's the first point. Guys, I'm going to switch over microphones. I'm not sure why we're chatting, but I'm going to make sure we're streamlined here. Brendan, I'm going to use this. You know, it only brings a message of severity. It's very clear cut. And I want you to notice that this wasn't a random act. I want you to notice this wasn't anything that came on except God himself did these things. God is going to bring the judgment. But in this, there is also grace. Not only a message of severity in how they worship him, how they should worship him, but there's also a message of sympathy. Look at verse 8. I love this, don't you? There is a time where God always says, I don't know what your Bible says. Most Bibles have this. Verse 8, you might have a but, you might have a yet, or something like that, a, a contrast to verses 1 to 7. Yet I will leave some of you alive, God says. When you have among the nations some who escape the sword and scattered through the countries, then those of you who escape will remember me and where they are carried, how I have been broken over their whoring heart. As God is pronouncing this judgment about their false worship, about their false idolatry, he still shows amazing grace. As a parent, my wife does a great job of reminding me of this because I'm a rules guy, and sometimes I get on the rules, and you broke the rule, you did this, you did this, you did this, you did this. This should inform every relationship, every authority pattern you have in your life that when you are being severe, there's always a measure of grace, isn't there? At the cross, when God laid out the wrath on his son, he still showed grace to those people by letting them live to see it happen even those who were crucifying him. As he's pronouncing this judgment, he says in verse 8, he's going to permit a remnant. He's going to save a group of people. This is, in the long view of Scripture, these are those folks who've come to know Jesus Christ. These are those, and yes, I'm going to use the word, that God predestinated, Ephesians 1, Romans 9, etc., 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 before the foundation of the world to be his own. Who are those people, Pastor? I don't know. But if you're in Christ, you're one of them. That's great. You've been predestinated. You've been chosen. You've been elected. These are the ones that God has chosen. And this is what I love, that God always has a plan. And Tori, you can put this up. God always has a plan. And that plan will always include protection of you, and he will be with you, and he will do what is best for his people. I love that. This message would have resonated with Ezekiel's audience. Remember, he's speaking to those who escaped the coming judgment. And what God wanted them to do was remember why he let them out. He wanted his people to admit their evil that he had been uh, sinned against. And God wants his people to recognize that this is still happening today. He wants his people to recognize the hurt and anguish they caused him because of their evil sin. God wanted his people to realize that he did not permit horrible judgment for no good reason. He didn't inflict disaster for the fun of it. When he did it, it was exactly what his people deserved. I want you to notice verse 9. Do not miss this part. Does God ever feel the effect of how we disobey him? Oh, you better look at verse 9. 
He says, Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations where they carried how I have been broken over their whoring heart. Does God's heart ever get broken? Yes and no. Yes, in the sense that we need to realize that when we sin, we hurt God. Isn't that the whole point of sin? When you sin, it's not just that you hurt someone else. It's that you disenfranchise yourself from God. We are called to do that. God has a broken heart over our sin. Do you remember the prodigal son, the whole story of the prodigal son, the man who ran away from his father and went off and did his own thing? Who's that father represent? That father represents God the father, of course, as we've always interpreted it. And yet when that son who rebelled came running back to him, do you remember what that father did? He pulled up his skirt or his, uh, his robe or his long whatever he had, and he started sprinting like Usain Bolt in the 100-meter dash, right? and went just down the road, and he wrapped himself around his son. Don't think that God is not hurt by your sin. Is God changed by your sin? No. Is his plan changed by your sin? Not at all. But there is a sense in which God grieves for us. He's not an un- He's not just a non- Feeling, I'm trying to think of the right word here, just cold and calculated God. He's a God that loves you, that died for you. I mean, think about Jesus, right? I mean, how, I, I think Jesus was a jokester. I'm convinced of this. In his holy way, Jesus is probably the best jokester around. He didn't need sarcasm. He didn't need grossness. Jesus was probably serious as we, he was, but Jesus smiled, and Jesus had a heart. And so, too, in the Godhead, the Father tells Ezekiel, when they went astray, even though I'm showing their grace, I want them to remember it broke my heart. And friends, when you sin, we do the same thing. We don't flaunt our sin, and the key to being right with God is not to flaunt it, but we loathe ourselves because of our sin. People right with God don't want to love their sin. They want to get rid of their sin, don't they? But what grace our God shows. Friends, our nation is entering a time, and you can, I'm not, you know, uh, the State of the Union address looked like the State of the, the, the Hollywood address at times, the theatrics that were going on and the posing by people and all sorts of, of manner of things. But I want you to know this nation is headed way over here, and we need people who are willing to stand up to say, I don't care. I don't care so much more about politics, but I do care about this. Are you right with God? Are you right in your relationship with God? Do you know him? Do you love him? Do you want to worship him? I believe God grieves over our nation. I really do. I believe God greatly grieves over the nation of the United States of America. I believe he grieves mostly because his people, the Christians who are called, all of us, are the ones who are supposed to be the change by his spirit are not being that change. Lord, we pray not just for politicians to be put in the right place, but Lord, we pray you put us in the right place, that we're ready to worship you and go out and share you. That's where it starts. A message of grace, of sympathy, but it hurts God's heart. But I want you to know, as he goes from judgment to grace, the last thing you see here, he doesn't let it go. He doesn't say, he doesn't do like a lot of us do, and we get angry, and we threaten, and we do that, and then we back off when everything calms down. His streamline is this. There's a message of sureness. Look at number three. Verse 10, as he comes in here, he tells them, look, I'm, you're not worshiping me correctly, therefore I'm punishing you. I'm giving you grace to those who are left out of this. But verse 10 says, and they shall know what? 
that I am the Lord your God. What is our desire for you at this church is that you know the Lord your God. Our desire for you is not necessarily that you walk away feeling great. Because, look, sometimes, brother, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. You know, there are some Sundays, a couple Sundays ago for the leadership team was just, just, it just, it was just good. It just felt good in that sense. There are some Sundays that are routine. Uh, like today, it's cloudy outside. It's cold. The Chiefs aren't playing today. What do I do with my life? What do I do with my money and my time? And you all are laughing because you know it's true. What do you do? There are days you don't feel, but our, our desire, guys, is not that you necessarily feel the, the, the worship fuzzies. May, may God encourage you. May God exhort you. May God rejoice your soul. But there are days, there are just certainly days that we pray that you just know that God is God. And that's what he tells them. I'm being sure to remind them of these things, that they know I am the Lord. We pray every worship service we do here reminds you of that, that he's God. We're not. He's in control. Amy, if I could steal a phrase from your dad. Yesterday, he always said, God is in control. He said that all the time. Heard it with my own ears numerous times. If you walk away from anything, from a worship service here, and you don't know that God is in control, that is what it's about. And when God comes to them with his judgment, he reminds them, verse 10, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I have not said in vain, I will do this evil to them. I want you to catch that. Who is doing the evil, guys? Who is it? It's God. Some of you are going to really struggle with that. Well, Darren, God isn't the author of sin. No, he's not. Well, Darren, God, 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 how far does this go? Look, here's where we're going to land. God is absolutely sovereign, and God is in the heaven, Psalm says, and he can do whatever he chooses, whatever he pleases. God had warned them and warned them and warned them and warned them. What he is bringing on them is of his hand. But we're not going to do like the 700 Club often does, and Pat Robertson is known for doing off the cuff. We're not going to start saying, well, this natural disaster happened. What in the world, what in tarnation happened to those people? They caused God to get angry over there. Guys, we're not playing that game. We are not God. What we know is that God will execute his judgment. We don't need to false prophesy over people. We all deserve that, don't we? But by his grace, he's allowed all of us in Christ to not get this. So some of you are going to struggle with that, that God brings that evil. But I want to remind you, it's something that he had already told him he was going to do. It's not out of left field. He's already said it. So he goes on in verse 11, and he tells them, he says, not only am I going to bring this to you, but he thinks, uh, you know, he, he, you get to the point where you think, okay, God, what are you going to do? He says, clap your hands and stamp your feet. That sounds like a country song, doesn't it? They went down the road, clapping their hands, stamping their and you get going. What is he saying? He's saying in verse 11, you get mad. You get mad at me. You do whatever you want to say, Israel. You get in my face. I don't care. Alas, because of the evil abominations, because of this, I am bringing this judgment on you. You get mad at me, Israel. Bring it on. You brought this on yourselves. That's really what he's telling them. The message is sure. Because, you know, we think that, you know, we think that, um, you know, we think that we can move to some remote spot and never be spotted. You know, we think we can go to a town, that what happens in that town stays in that town. 
We think we can go retire to some safe place and get away from God. Nothing's ever going to happen. Well, God says to his people, you can run, but you can't hide. You can get mad at me, but my message is firm. I told you this is coming, and this is what's going to happen. And God says, if you move away from me, I'm going to track you down. I'll come after you. In fact, in verse 11, he tells them three things he's going to do. He's going to bring sword. He's going to bring famine. He's going to bring plagues. But pastor, God is a God of love. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And he's been lovingly warning them for over 450 years. But they still don't get it. You know, back in 2016, doctors were perplexed because it appeared as though leprosy had gotten back into the United States. It's kind of one of those things we got rid of years ago. And they couldn't figure out how or why it got in. And they still really don't know. But there's a pocket, especially in the western uh, parts, according to this article I read, that it got in. And we don't know how it got in. But what God is telling them, look, I don't care how this leprosy of sin got into you. It's among you. And it has to be dealt with. It has to be carried through. It is a message of sureness and a message that is coming. So I want to remind you this morning, and Tori, you can put up the first bullet. Life is short. Judgment is sure. Ponder your morality and cling to Christ. That's all you're called to do in this world. Life is short. I was teasing Miss Patsy this morning that she's been with us about three or four years, and we, she looked at us in class and said, it didn't feel like three or four years in a good way. It just, it just zoomed by. Our son just turned three. Uh, our oldest son just turned seven. And we're in the world, and you all know how quickly that goes. Life is short. But if you're not a Christian, judgment is sure. There is coming a day when God will judge the world in righteousness. We need to settle out of court. We need to believe in Jesus Christ. And the church is called not only to proclaim the gospel of love, but to warn men and women of this irrevocable calling of judgment that's coming upon the earth. It's going to be a terrible time, but we need to ponder our morality. Guys, life is so short. If you have someone in your life that doesn't know Jesus, what are you waiting for to tell them about Jesus? Well, i got to build a relationship with them. You know, you can build a relationship with people, with people pretty quick, right? You sit on an airplane, and you find out pretty quick what kind of relationship you're going to have with the person in front of you, whether they lean back or they give you space or whatever they figure out to do. Or if you take the, the streetcar downtown, uh, whether you sit next to a person who needs a shower or just had a shower or put on way too much perfume, you have a relationship right away, don't you? So relationship isn't the problem to share the gospel. It's taking the time to share the gospel. And we need to cling to Christ. Christian, as you read through this, I just want to tell you this morning, this stuff probably just makes you feel, it should make you feel uneasy. But God says when he does this, it's because he said he was going to do it. It's a sure message. He ends in verse 13, and he tells them that, he tells them that God would make the promised land, the one that he gave his people. Verse 14, actually, he says, I'm going to make it a desolate and wasteland. All this I gave you, I'm going to take away, and I'm going to make it like a desert. Just because of that. Friends, I believe that God is churning the church in America today. I believe God is, is, is filtering out a lot of folks from churches today. A lot of churches out of churches today. Because the church in America has gone so wayward in so many times. And I'm guilty as that as anybody. As pastor and leader in so many ways. But God is telling this group of people here. As I think he's telling the church today. And I'm not a prophet of the son of a prophet. Please hear me clearly. 
that there's coming a time of reckoning. Are you living for me? Are you taking me seriously? Are you really sure you're on the right path? Yes, I love you. Yes, I'm in your corner. Yes, I'll always be with you. Yes, if you're with me, nothing can snatch you out of my hand, but are you living for me? And as we age and as we go through this church time, you're going to see more and more churches closing because of idolatry closing them, because of false worship closing them, because God promised that would happen. This doesn't make us a holy huddle because we're lesser in number or greater in number, but it's a reminder to us that this God is a God, as Second Peter tells us, that judgment will first start with the household of God. Would you pray this week, Tower View member, that whatever God has in front of us, that we would address it? That if there's something in this church that needs to be addressed spiritually, that we would handle it well with grace and tackle it and grab it by the horns because we want to follow God in all that he has. I'm not aware of anything specific, but I pray that you pray for wisdom, especially for us as leadership as we go through these things. But there are many idols today. The question is, are we really worshiping God as he wants us to? For our God is a jealous God. And, And Tori, you can put up the last little phrase there. Our God is a jealous God. God is not jealous about you. God is jealous for you, for his glory. God doesn't look at you and say, man, I'm so jealous my heavenly football team didn't win the Super Bowl. But I am jealous for your attention. Man, if I only had the fountains in heaven that Kansas City had, we'd have a much better heaven up here. God's not jealous like that. But God is jealous for you. He wants you. He desires you. He's not going to die or fall away as God if he doesn't have you. But if you're a Christian, he told the same message to Israel. I desire you, and I want you to worship me as I want you to worship me. And may I be praised in your life. Guys, it gets darker in Ezekiel. But I want to remind you, where there's much darkness, there is great light. It was 303 years ago when the church was probably in its darkest hour when a guy named Martin Luther went up to that door. You remember what he did? That's sound effects, by the way. And he nailed those on the door, those 95 theses. And the church was accosted with things that they didn't think were any problem, but God saw as a problem. Luther is a sinner like the rest of us, but God used him. I'm not calling God to call all us Luthers, but would you pray? God, what is it in our church? What is it in our culture that we need to write because we desire to be your people and worship you accordingly? And guys, what an awesome privilege. We get to worship the King of Kings. Amen? Let's bow our heads together as we close. Father, as we come before you this morning and as we go to you in prayer.